Hi, I'm Rabbi David Orlovsky. Welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show, a tradition since last Thursday. <laughs> that would make this episode too. Now, if you didn't watch my first episode, <laughs> what a loser. But anyway, um, I, uh, I explained that this is my foray out into the world of podcasts. I don't really understand it too much. But I saw on YouTube that, well, I mean, I didn't see on YouTube, but I know somebody in America who has a non-Jewish neighbor who has the internet for business purposes, and he checked and saw that on YouTube there are 200 views. So uh, that's, that's nice for a start. You know, we only have 9,800 more to go to get to my goal for the first 10 uh, episodes. But uh, after that, I expect it to take off. But uh, I can honestly say at this point, we are the fastest growing non-Torah Jewish podcast in the world because we went from zero to 200. So that's really unbelievable. And I'm not counting all the people who are out in podcast land uh, who are listening to this wherever people listen to podcasts. <laughs> so, but uh, it's absolutely amazing. And the, the nicest thing was so many comments that I received. Yeah. Um, so, for example, Ari from Brooklyn suggested that instead of uh, me sticking myself into a corner of, of my room over there, that I give myself some svarim as, as a backdrop, and, uh, and we have. So uh, it just shows you how, how receptive I am. Um, I should also point out, since people have been sending in comments, you know, that our producer, Michal Samuels, doesn't like the title. Doesn't like the title of the Rabbi Yolofsky show. I thought, it, I thought it just really says it all. But, you know, there's a certain, I guess, gift to uh, being able to give a uh, certain creativity. Uh, someone told me they were hiring Rabbi Tatz to do a Shabbos, and um, they asked him, could you send some titles? And he sent a list of 20 titles. And they said, this, these are great. W what are they about? And he says, nothing. Uh, these are just titles I made up, and I'm going to talk about whatever I want. <laughs> so whatever you want a title, here's a title for you. So, uh, you know, so like I have a, I have a, a, a class on tefillah, that I give, which is unbelievable. It's called tefillah. And uh, I don't know, I really think that that says it all. But uh, people want creativity, you know? And the, tr the, the, the interesting thing is that people often judge things based on the title, yeah? One of the best shiurim I ever gave was on Pasha's Ve'era, and it was about, uh, you know, hichbaratiyas um, libo, uh, you know, hardening paro's heart, and all kinds of different things that had to do with dam and Pesach. It was... Trust me, one of my best shirim. And almost, when I used to sell tapes, almost nobody bought it because the title was Arteriosclerosis of the Soul. And evidently nobody knew what that was, so they didn't buy it. On the other hand, I gave a share in Parshat years ago, which was okay, don't get me wrong, it was good. Not one of my best of all time. I called it um, Harry Potter and Parshat Mishpatim. Well, that sell great. Everyone saw Harry Potter, you know. In fact, I one time had somebody come over to me angrily at the end of a shir because of a title. Because um, I, uh, it was Pasha Shmini, and I called the shir Pottery Mania, Mania, Pottery Mania. So the person assumed, for reasons that are unclear to me, that it was about Harry Potter, and in fact it was about Klicheris, which is why I called it Pottery Mania. And uh, he's still upset at me to this day. But uh, he brought his wife and everything. This was, this was a major night out. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway... Those of you who are nice enough to uh, write comments, so uh, if you have another suggestion for the show, 
Uh, that would be nice. And I've already had two offers of sponsorships for the podcast, which is great because then, you know, I rented all these Svarim, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I could maybe buy some of them and, you know, have them as personal. I'm just kidding. This is actually a poster behind me. They're not even any Svarim. But uh, it's just the green screen we're putting in. <laughs> Anyhow, so, uh, so that's really nice. It's really terrific. And I, what can I tell you? There's been a certain warmth and outpouring from people uh, about this idea. And uh, that's great. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be able to have this opportunity to interact with people that I normally don't get since I spend most of my time, you know, either locked in my room or walking down the street pushing a baby carriage filled with garbage because that's where I am at this point in my life. In any event, so thank you so much, everybody, for uh, watching. Tell your friends. Tell people you don't like. I don't really care. I, I just want to see those clicks. <laughs> and to all of our subscribers, we're going to have special things for the subscribers. Um, uh, I don't know what that is yet because I don't know what a subscriber is. But, but I thank those of you who have subscribed. And uh, or as we say, you just get, get, get subscribed and subscribe. Uh, and uh, it's Hashem. We'll go on. Okay, so this is our second podcast, and uh, if you weren't here for the last one, I can't understand why you're watching this one, but um, we're taking an idea from the parasha, as opposed to a straight Dvar Torah, and developing it a little bit. Now, the truth is, this is going to cross the line a little bit, but it's something that I, you know, really want to talk about, because it's something that I consider to be um, important and uh, fundamental, and... Uh, I introduce with a story. I introduce with a story. I was on a uh, panel in uh, in Cape Town, South Africa, um, with a Jewish teacher, a non-Jewish teacher, or I should say, a Christian teacher, a Muslim teacher, secular Jewish teacher, myself, and we were answering questions on Judaism. And some of these kids were giving the Christian teacher a hard time about Christianity, and I was giving them the eye. You know, like, you know, and uh, it didn't stop them. But when they were done, the next question came and said, gee, Rabbi Alavsky, I'm a little surprised that you were upset when we were asking this question, because didn't you tell us in a class that the Jewish people are the chosen people? Dun, da, dun, dun, dun. And there I am on the banner with the Christian and the Muslim looking at me. So uh, it's an interesting idea. Interesting idea. And I said the following. I said, of course we believe we're the chosen people. The Christians also believe they're the chosen people. And the Christian teacher right away said, yes, of course. And uh, I said, obviously, you wouldn't be following. The I remember I, I once had this reform uh, uh, student in Hebrew University who was arguing with me in a class, and he says, so you think you have the absolute truth? And I said, well, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think I had the absolute truth. What do you think? I, I, you think I'm doing this and I think it's wrong? Of course I think it's true, yeah? And there's something a little bit upsetting about that, yeah? Um, Mati Berger once said an interesting thing, yeah? He says, people don't like the Jewish people. One of the reasons they've given is because we say we're the chosen people. The Christians say they're the chosen people. Did you ever meet a Jew who was angry at a Christian for saying they're the chosen people? No. Why are they angry at us? Because they know we're right. That's why. <laughs> it's, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a certain underlying truth to it. So this is the week 
where we start the story of the Jewish people. And it's basically where we develop into the Jewish people, where Avram Avinu is approached by a Kodesh Baruch Hu and told, Leave your home, leave your country, leave everything behind and go to the land I'm going to show you. And he begins this journey that concludes with Brismila. And this is the journey of becoming the Jewish people, and if you will, the chosen people. Chosen people. And he says to Avram right at the beginning, I'm going to give you health, wealth, and the time to enjoy it. Yeah? Because uh, I'm going to give you children, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you wealth, I'm going to make you famous, because travel, travel takes those things away from you. And so uh, I'm going to give you those things. It's going to be a blessing I'm going to give you. That sounds great. That's what we expect from the chosen people. We expect that you are going to shower your blessings upon us. So he gets to Israel. What's the first thing that happens? Famine. He goes down to Egypt to kidnap his wife. He gets his wife back. He has a fight with his only remaining relative, Lot, and they separate. Lot gets captured, and so Avram has to go to war against the four world powers. Now, to be fair, he's got Eliezer with him, so it's a fair battle, right? And he manages to defeat them, and he gets Lot back. And then eventually, 10 years pass, he doesn't have any children, he has to take another wife. He takes another wife, and then his two wives don't get along. Those of you who have two wives, you know how incredibly awkward it can be. And they have a fight, and he has to send away his wife, you know, and they come back. And this goes on for 29 years. And at the end of 29 years, the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, so, how do you like my bris? I got one more surprise for you, circumcision. I was saving that for last. Yeah? This is chosen people. This is chosen people. It's an old Jewish joke. Yeah? Goldberg turns to God and he says, God, is it true that we're the chosen people? And he says, yes, Goldberg, you're the chosen people. He says, could you do me a favor? Choose somebody else once in a while. Yeah? Jewish history has not shown us that this blessing of being the Jewish people has necessarily worked out to our advantage in every instance. I don't know if you're aware of this, but a quick reading of Jewish history will find there's a lot of people out there who just don't like us. And we've certainly made a lot of contributions to science, to literature, to philosophy. You know, uh, we, we've built economies and countries. Casimir invited the Jews into Poland to help him build the economy. You know, when we got kicked out of Spain, uh, Suleiman invited uh, the Jews into Turkey because he knew that they would rebuild his economy. But we've done a lot of good for the world uh, overall. And people just don't like us. Yeah. So when you talk about chosen people, this week's Barsha gives us a little insight into what it means. Yeah. Because Baruch comes over and says, listen, I'm the God of the entire world. Open parentheses. This is an extremely important point. Yeah? If uh, you go to a Christian and say, I want to join Christianity, they're thrilled to have you. You go to Islam and you tell them, I want to join Islam, they're thrilled to have you. Yeah? In fact, they will often uh, give you offers to come. Like, we won't burn you at the stake. You know? We won't kill you. 
We won't torture you to death. That's, by the way, an impetus. But even in Europe, they used to offer money and food. There's one time this couple, they didn't know what to do. They had no money. They couldn't feed their family, you know. So the husband says, I'll convert. I'll convert. And he goes out, goes to the church. They give him some money. He comes back. And, uh, and he comes in with the money. And the wife says, oh, look at that. We could buy food for the children. Maybe we can buy a pair of shoes for the little boy. And he says, ah, look at this. I go get some money, and you Jews want to take it away from him already. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a terrible thing, you know. But they would do all kinds of ways to influence you so that you would convert, which makes sense. Because according to Christianity and according to Islam, if you do not follow their religion, then you will be cast into the pit of hell. And in fact, um, in... Uh, I think it's uh, St. Peter's Cathedral, I think it is. You know, they have the big, the giant mural of, uh, of them casting the non-believers into the fires of hell, you know. Dante, you know, divine comedy, you know, those people who don't believe, the heretics burnt at the stake. And so, of course, they're going to do anything they can to get you to join because they are the chosen people. They have the truth. And by the way, you've got to make sure you have the right truth, yeah, because... Um, in the 14th century, there were two popes, and one in France and one in Italy, and each one put the other one's followers you know, into excommunication. So whichever pope you were following, there was another pope telling you that you're gonna, you can't go to heaven. You know? So you know, it's, a, it's a problem. It's a problem, right, to be able to follow it. So they're going to do whatever they can. person comes to us and says, I want to become a Jew. He says, what do you want to do that for? So I want to go to heaven. It's just no problem. Do the seven, go to heaven. Last week's parsha. Do the Shevet Mitzvah There's an entire Noahide movement out there of non-Jews who keep the seven basic moral laws, and they have a place in the world to come. We don't need you to join. So, what kind of a chosen people are you? So that's the story in this week's parsha. Because Baruch comes to Avram Avinu, and he says, "I want you to be the chosen people." What does that mean? You are my representative in this world. And I want you to see this world because it's filled with hunger and it's filled with crime and it's filled with family strife and marital strife yeah, and war and all kinds of difficulties. Your job is to fix the world. That's why I put the Jewish people in this world. That's what I need a chosen people for. To, to, to give reward, I want to I, I wanna reward everybody. I want the entire world. The entire world will acknowledge HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the ultimate goal. Not that they should become Jews. Our job is to be able to go out there and change the world. Change the world. Now, this is a scary, scary topic. And I, you know, like I say, I... One of the reasons I'm doing this is because there are things that I don't feel like I can say in my regular shiurim and the, you know, that I, I want to try to get out there. Are we living up to that expectation? Are we being an orla goyim? Are people looking at the Jewish people and saying, wow, I want to be like him? I want to be like him. I, I told this story to Pesach Kron. <laughs> I said to Pesach Kron, I said, you told this unbelievable story. It's an unbelievable story. This guy's wife, his, his wife was in labor, and he had to get to Beth Israel. It's coming from Flatbush. Has to go through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. 
there are people still waiting from a month ago to get through the book and battery tunnel. He doesn't know what to do. So he moves into the bus lane and he starts zooming and a cop stops him and he says, my wife's in labor. So he says, why didn't you tell me we would give you an escort? And they take him down. He goes there, he has the baby, and that night he's coming home. And he's coming home, and when he comes to the toll booth, this is before Easy Path, he pulls out two tokens. So the guy says, what's this for? He says, um, I came through this morning with a police escort, and the guy says, oh, congratulations, what did your wife have? He says, how did you know? He says, we saw you were a religious Jew. And so we said for sure he'll come back and pay the toll on his way back. That's a Pesach's Kron story. Now I'll tell you a Davidolovsky story. <laughs> this, uh, these people are sitting around the Bima in Shul. And they're discussing that they leased a car and the lease was up and he was 200 miles over the lease agreement. And you have to pay a dollar for every mile over. That's $200. And it hurt this from Yid to have to pay the $200 that he was legally responsible to pay. It hurt him. So someone told him about a guy, an Israeli in, in New York, who for $50 will turn back the odometer. Givaldic. He goes to this guy. He starts turning back the odometer, and the odometer breaks. What do we do now? He says, don't worry. I work with a fellow who that's his job. He will steal an odometer from another car of the same make and model. I'll put it back in and bring it to the right mileage. And on Shabbos, he's sitting around, he's standing around the Bima with his two friends and he says, and it only cost me 50 bucks. And they go, shkoyach. <laughs> and I'm watching this scene play out. And I thought to myself, you know, we used to die for our religion. Josephus says that the Romans used to capture Jews and torture them to death to get them to serve idols because they couldn't believe that anybody would be willing to give up their life for their beliefs. And today you can buy a Jew for $150. Now, I was deeply moved by this story. I happened to tell this story over to uh, Mo, Mo Rowe. Uh, Moshe Rosenbaum, he has a swarm store up in the mountains, and I have to see him. I was so disturbed, I told him of this story. And he looks at me, he says, $150? I can buy a Jew for less than that. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, um, I, uh, I went, um, uh, I, I run a swarm store. So people come in and buy swarm. Religious people, they're buying swarm. And I have to charge them sales tax. And they get very angry at me. Get angry at me. I'll charge them sales tax. So he says, Fakert, who's your paisik? The Satmarov says you have to pay sales tax. Ramesha Feinstein says you have to pay sales tax. Fakert, if there's a paisik who says you don't have to tell me, I'd be very happy to hear. So then they get really angry at me. And then I say, ah, now I understand. You don't believe in the Abishta. Don't believe in the Abishta. I'm, I'm buying Svarim. He says, you think if you don't steal this 8% sales tax, you won't be able to feed your family. Kushbarcha won't be able to provide for you. I have no choice but to do something dishonest. Now, 
I've worked in Jewish outreach for many years, and I answer questions. That's what I do. And one of the questions that people ask is, how do you explain these religious Jews, you know, who, uh, who are involved in all kinds of illegal, you know, activities? Now, I have a standard answer that I used to give. <laughs> I'd say, what are you talking about? Anybody's afraid, you know, to walk through a Jewish neighborhood? <laughs> afraid an accountant's going to attack them, as Jackie Mason says, you know? This is what, uh, who's afraid? You know, Jews don't kill, they don't steal, they don't, you know, they don't rape. They don't, what are you talking about? It's very safe. I met this Italian guy who lives in the middle of Borough Park. I said, what are you doing here? He says, it's the healthiest place for my kids to grow up. I don't have to worry about crime. I don't have to worry about drugs. Great place. And I've given this answer for years. And then at one point, somebody says, I work in the DA's office. And when it comes to violent crimes, you're right. But when it comes to white-collar crimes, the from community is disproportionately represented to the point that somebody told me that uh, he was in America, and he says, where's Yankel? And he says, oh, he's sitting. And everyone nods. Now, I'm from Eritrea. I never heard this term. He says, sitting where? <laughs> he says, you know, sitting. <laughs> I didn't know what he meant. And someone explained to me. It means he's in jail. <laughs> it means he's in jail. <laughs> so we have a term for it. Yeah. And by the way, it's not like uh, once upon a time. You can go to jail. Where they have mignonim three times a day and glycosha food and the dafyaymi shear. It's mamash gavaldik. What a spiritually elevating experience. <laughs> what do people think? What do people think when they see us? And this is something that every one of us is guilty on some level. I, I you know, I never put myself up on, on, on a pedestal. And I, I have to say, you know, I, I, I've given a shir for many years, Mosi Shabbos and Harnof, you know. People say to me, one of the reasons I like coming to your shir is because you're so ordinary. And I feel like if you could do it, anyone can. And I appreciate that because I know where it's coming from. I do. I know there are certain people who make you, put you up on a pedestal. <laughs> I saw this guy speaking to a group of teenage girls, you know, who's doing kumsits for them. And, um, and, uh, and he says, uh, all of us could be better. You think I couldn't be better? <laughs> and the girls start to laugh, you know, because he's such a tzaddik. You know, he plays the guitar and he sings it. You think I couldn't be better? He goes, I don't say Asha Yotzar with enough kavana. <laughs> That's his problem, you understand? That's the only, he was mamish mipashpesh from Azov, and the only thing he could find is that he doesn't say Asha Yotzar with enough kavana. And I'm thinking to myself, I know this guy has a business and he keeps two sets of books because he doesn't pay income tax. How about that? You know? Uh, how about the, <laughs> the fact that he embezzled money from one of the places he was working to pay his gambling debts? How about that? You know, come on. So I, I, you know, but every one of us at some point, we have to understand when we walk down the street, how we drive, what we talk, you know, I don't know, every place, some places I go to, religious people don't have the best reputation when it comes to driving. Yeah. There's this English comic. I don't know his name. I saw him, a clip of him once. Um, 
But uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sure somebody will leave it in the comments for me. But, um, you know, he became from, I was doing a routine. And he says, I learned certain things now that I'm part of the religious community. And he puts up these pictures of signs, you know. He says, no parking. He says, this means park here. He says, crosswalk. This means park here. <laughs> Sidewalk. This means park here. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, and people see it and, and they wonder. They pee people smoking where you're not allowed to smoke. And people wonder because they see that this is a religious Jew, you know. And I, and, I, and I think of that Pesach Kron story. Am Segula, Goyim, a chosen people. We have an obligation that when people see us, it's supposed to bring them to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why did the Jews go into Gullis? Because this way people could be exposed to Judaism and see it and be inspired and find their way back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's our mission. That's why we're in this world. And I can tell you, I've seen people do exceptionally wonderful things and I've seen people do terrible things. You know? I was... I was driving and I, I came to a crosswalk and there was this blind person waiting to cross the street. Okay, come on. This, this one's going to go into my article biography, right? I stopped the car, I got out. I walked the guy across the street. So another driver says, <laughs> another driver says, and I said, if I waited for him, it would have taken me forever. I was just worried about myself. <laughs> and he says, oh, okay, that made more sense to him. <laughs> you know? You see, you see people do things that are, that are good or are nice. Right? An unbelievable story. Rabbi Wine tells this story. Um, the Detroit Free Press, again, this is an old story. I don't know if it still applies today or not, but it was very pro-Israel. And he had a dinner with the editor of the Detroit Free Press, and he wanted to thank him for being so pro-Israel. And he says, I'll tell you why I'm so pro-Israel, he says. He says... Uh, there was this Jewish couple here in Detroit, and they hired this, uh, this young girl, had no family, you know, to, uh, to be their maid, to be their living maid. Anyway, they went away, you know, and the maid realized it's almost December 25th. They don't have a tree. They don't have any lights. They don't have, you know, they don't have anything. This woman didn't have too much money. She was living, she had an, an elderly mother. That's all she had. So she goes out with whatever money she has and she buys a tree, she buys a wreath and she strings up lights <laughs> and she decorates their whole house. Anyway, they come home. They drove past their house three times <laughs> until they realized it was their house. They go in and the, this, this young girl was so thrilled that she was able to do this for them. And they said to her, you know, this is the nicest thing anyone has ever done for us. But we're Jewish. We don't, we don't keep, we don't celebrate Xmas. She says, really? She says, but this is what I want you to do. First of all, I'm going to pay you for all the decorations. Second of all, I'm going to give you a bonus. Third of all, please, I'm going to call a cab. Bring all of this home to your mother and decorate her house that she should enjoy it as beautifully as us. The editor of the Detroit Free Press looks at Rabbi Wine and says, that was my mother. 
Everyone knows the story with the Maharal about how he helped out this one kid. You know, his father was the baker and he was going to poison the whole town, you know, and the, he was able to save everybody because he was nice to this one kid, you know. Who knows? Who knows? People are watching us all the time. And people want to know, are you living up to your expectations? Are you going to make the world a better place? Are people going to look at you and say, I heard this story. Again, I never checked it out. I heard this story. That whenever there was an ecumenical debate in the town of Rodden in Poland, and I don't know if that was between the Jews and the Greek Orthodox or the Jews and the Catholics, but whoever it was between, says the Jews had this trump card that they would always play. They would say, show me a religion that has ever produced the Chavetz Chaim, and that was the end of it. Because even the non-Jews knew there was nothing to talk about. You know, they knew they had nobody to compete with that level of holiness. And if people look at us and they say, wow, well, that's what I want to be. That's what I can become. That's the world that I want to live in. And we're living up to our expectations. And if we don't, here's the sad truth. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will use us to teach the world one way or the other. And this is, these are psukim. I'm not writing this. Yeah? And when bad things happen, people look at the Jews and say, well, look at how they've suffered because they didn't live up to their expectations. I'd much rather inspire the world through my beautiful smile and warm words and good wishes. Yeah? When they were sitting shiver for Yaakov Kamenetsky, so this nun came in. Yeah. And they were a little surprised. Okay, she was dressed in black and white. She fit in, but still, you know, you don't expect to see a nun. <laughs> so they said, can I help you? And she says, I came to pay my respects to Rabbi Kamenetsky. He says, well, what was your connection? She says, you know, it's not easy being a nun in Muncie. <laughs> As you can imagine. He says, so when I would walk down the street, people would cross the road like I had leprosy, you know. There was only one person. Rabbi Kamenetsky, whenever he would see me, he would say, good morning, and give me a big smile. And that made such an impression. And we don't know where this stuff goes. Every time you do something good and you say something nice and you live up to those expectations, we don't know how it's going to change the world. I don't remember who told this to me years and years ago. So be very careful before you alienate anybody because very few people can help you, but anybody can hurt you. And the best thing to do is to try to turn somebody into a friend. Turn somebody into somebody who's going to appreciate you and appreciate what you're trying to do in the world. And if we live up to that, then the journey of Avram Avinu. And says the Maharal, why is the first Jew introduced with the words Lech Lecha? Because we're all on a journey. We're all going someplace. And in Mirza Hashem, all of us will take that journey together and bring the world to where it's supposed to go. Everyone should have a great Shabbos. Thank you.